And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisbee in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisbee, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 34 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Hunter Pence. Hunter, how are you doing today? Grant, I'm doing outstanding. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How is your off-season going so far? Are you like riveted like I am to, you know, what Twitter or MLB trade rumors or just refresh, refresh, refresh? Or are you just kind of letting the news come to you as it comes? You know, just checking and kind of being pleasantly surprised each day. Like, oh, another thing's happening. Another thing's happening. Because, you know, you never know what to expect in an off-season. And, you know, sometimes like some of the signings are all really late. And I know that this is like a bargaining agreement offseason. So there's a lot of like, you know, you don't know what to expect, but there seems to be a lot of cool things happening and exciting things happening every day. So I'm just kind of like getting pleasantly surprised as we go. I do enjoy this time of year just because it is, you know, I get, it, there's a little bit of like come down from, oh, there's no more baseball and that stinks. At the same time, it's like, Award, award, award. Uh, there's Hall of Fame news. There's free agent news. There's trade rumbling. So I kind of dig it. I wish there were more baseball mixed in. But let's talk about some of that award stuff because we haven't gotten there yet. And there's Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, MVP. Like it's all been announced. And there weren't like a ton of hyper controversial, you know, but there was a lot of open for debate. Like the NL MVP was wild how close that was and how many different ballots there were, the different permutations that different writers could make. What did you make of the NL MVP ballot? That was a tough one. If you ask me, I think that they got it right for sure. I think Bryce probably, you know, I know he had the tough last, uh, you know, series against the Braves. But as we can see, the Braves at the end of the year, they won the World Series and their pitching kind of, you know, was at the forefront of that run. So they were probably one of the toughest pitching staffs to go and face. All that being said, it's sad. Yeah, they didn't make the playoffs. But, you know, I think Bryce had a great season. I think it was a very well-deserved MVP. And it was a close race. I think if, if Tati stayed healthy, it, it would have... You know, it could have been a different story. And I'm not sure the the actual numbers of like Juan Soto. I know that he had a great year as well. I think it was those three, but I'm pretty sure Bryce was a was a was a good pick. What's your thoughts on that on the NL MVP? 
when you go through the individual ballots, you had uh, Bryce Harper. He appeared first on 17 ballots, but he was also fifth on a ballot. You had Juan Soto. He had six first place votes. He had a seventh place vote. You had Trey Turner. He had a first place vote. He had a 10th place vote. Like Brandon Crawford had a four first place finishes and then one ninth place vote. So like it's all over the map. And then when you look at war, right? Like baseball references version of war. They're all bunched up. Bryce Harper, 5.9. Juan Soto, 7.1. Tati, 6.6. Crawford, 6.1. Trey Turner, 6.5. Goldschmidt, 6.1. Riley, 6.1. Like they're all bunched up. And when you get that close in war, like the differences don't mean anything. It's like the margin of error. So you can't just look at stats and say, oh, well, this guy had the much higher war. I'm voting for him. And you can't just look at situation because it's all different. So I loved it. And I think I don't know if I would have voted for Harper, but I don't think that there was a wrong answer. Like, you'd have to work really, really hard to get a wrong answer. Now that you mentioned that, like, I didn't really look at the war. It seems a little bit skewed there, actually. I didn't know Juan Soto's war was that much higher than than Bryce Harper's. And I, I got to really dive a little deeper into the numbers to kind of see what happened there. So, you know, I was kind of feeling Brandon Crawford was a little bit underrepresented or or even thought about like when they put the three pictures on like the Instagram like these are the finalists and you know Austin Riley I think was kind of in the mix as well when I went and looked at the numbers because I had a discussion with Greg Amsinger when I was getting to do some stuff at MLB uh, Network and he was saying that Austin Riley was who he thought was the MVP and I was like I think Brandon Crawford and he was like "Mm, I think they're pretty far apart and when you go and look at the numbers they're actually almost the same season. It's it's crazy. Their OPS is very similar. Their defensive metrics are very similar, which was kind of actually uh, a little surprising. I think Riley had, as far as the stats, like I think Brandon had better offense, and that's a much tougher park to hit in, in my opinion. I'm not sure how it ended up, but I think Riley had like better defensive stats, and I'm not sure if he won a gold glover now. So that was what was interesting to me. But I do think Bryce Harper had a pretty tremendous season. The NL MVP, I think, was was kind of a weird one. Now, as a former player, given the former player's perspective of, do you think the MVP should come from a winning team? Do you think that there's room for someone who is uh, on a last place team, like Andre Dawson in 1987? I mean, how do you parse the winning part of the MVP? You know, I honestly think that it should matter a little, but not too much. Like if we switch over to the American League, you're not going to get me to ever waver from Shohei Otani being the hands down MVP story of the year in, you know, inspiration changing the game and they were not in the playoffs and this was one of the greatest seasons as far as I'm concerned the the two greatest seasons I've ever witnessed is Shohei Otani in 2021 and Barry Bonds. I don't remember the year, but that he hit 60 whatever and only had like 288-ish of bats because he was walked 300 times or something just absurd. Like those two seasons are the craziest seasons I've ever witnessed. And I still think that as this story unfolds, like how long can Otani do this? It's like, there's no way he can do this all year. Well, he did it all year. There's no way he can do it another year. Well, let's see. What he did this year is, I think, not credited enough. I'm not sure if I've gone on this rant here or a different podcast. I don't know who I'm saying these things to, but I'll go on it again because I believe it in my heart of hearts. What is value? Like Shohei Otani, you're telling me that wasn't valuable to Angels fans? You're telling me that wasn't valuable if you're paying attention to the Angels all year and you get to watch Shohei Otani? Like there's no value in that? 
Forget it. That is as much value as you can get out of baseball. That kind of enjoyment, that kind of excitement, that kind of rarity, like it's valuable for baseball. Like I push back on the idea of like, well, they didn't win. So how can he be valuable? No, they'll remember that season for the rest of their lives. He's selling season tickets. He's selling memories. Like I think that that was as valuable a season as a baseball player can ever have. And I get the Angels didn't finish over 500, but that's not all value is. Listen, Grant. Just watching Otani step into batting practice on the field (laughs) at the Home Run Derby, I still get chills that moment. He was hitting homers and getting standing ovations and oohs and ahs, and he was hitting it so far. Like, his BP was valuable to me. It's a memory I'll never forget. I'll never forget Barry Bond season. I'll never forget seeing Shohei Otani this year do anything. And you watch him, and, and here's something, and people say this a lot. It's like he's also a good person. You watch him in Oakland, like picking up trash, you know, like as he's going by so someone else doesn't step on. This is one of the greatest humans, greatest seasons. And he filled me with a memory that I'll never forget. I felt the electricity of him just hitting BP. The home run derby this year was insane. Yeah, they're getting better. I mean, it's like it, home run derbies. I think the new format is great. We talked about it a little bit after the All-Star game, but it's just, it's more, everyone's more into it and, and everyone's got the, the launch angle swings now. And it's, I don't know. I, but to the, the point that Otani, yes, he's the most valuable. If you're talking about a 110 loss team, if that team has the best player in baseball on them, you're giving fans a reason to watch. The team might be miserable, but you get to watch the best player in the game. That has value. So I push back all the time on this idea of it's got to be a winning player on a winning team. As a tiebreaker, I could see it. Like, you know, the Giants won 107 games. Maybe if you've got all these players grouped together with war and I don't know, well, maybe Brandon Crawford was the glue. Without them, they certainly don't win 107 games. They probably don't win 100 games. They certainly don't win the NL West. As a tiebreaker, I like it. As an end-all, be-all, forget it. Yeah, tiebreaker, that's what I'm saying. It shouldn't matter a little. I'm looking right now at the NL war for position players, and I'm not sure exactly like how many different wars are out there. But as I look at this, I start getting a little bit of a sinking feeling in my stomach because I was like, yeah, you know, Harper for sure. The war is pretty big difference here with Soto and Harper. Soto's at 7.1. Harper's at 5.9, according to this. And there's eight people ahead of Harper. This is causing me to not feel so good about this pick all of a sudden. What happened here? Like, how did this happen? Literally eight people ahead of him on war. Is Am I looking at the correct stats right now? You are. And here's the thing. So when you have, like, if you have the, the actual leader in baseball reference war, it's Zach Wheeler. Yeah. No, I see that. 7.7. I actually don't love war because it really annoyed me that just being a corner outfielder, you get minus one. Like, <laughs> yes. it's like, what? Just because of my position, I'm all of a sudden less valuable. I don't know. But at the same token, it seems pretty spot on with with how it seems to calculate the best player. I like war a lot as shorthanded. It adjusts for park. It adjusts for position. It adjusts for the league and everything that they're doing. But when you get to so Juan Soto, the on base percentage of 465, that pushes him up in baseball references version. But once you start getting to these a half war difference, a 0.5 difference, 0.3 difference, 0.2, mentally, I throw it out. Like there is no, you can't get that granular with this stat. So when you're talking Trey Turner at 6.5 and Austin Riley at 6.1, it's a tie, you know, and that goes with Bryce Harper at 5.9. If it's uh, Fernando Tatis 6.6, Bryce Harper 5.9, closer to not being a tie. But to me, it's like, 
that's basically a tie. Like that and then is you not look a at the tie, Grant. That is <laughs> not a tie. Is- what a whole point of war is super hard to get. Like go out there and play and like watch the war move as you go. It is a free. You have to earn that. It is very difficult. That is a big difference. I don't trust that stat, uh, like to that nth degree, like to that decimal point. I don't trust it. I can hear you on Soto and Tati 7.1, 6.6. You know, that's like 0.5. It's not a huge guy. Like, so point, once it gets to a half a point within that range, then we can argue. But the fact that he won the MVP and he's that many behind, and he's behind that many people. Here's who's all ahead of him. Soto, Tatis, Turner, O'Neill, Wheeler, Goldschmidt, Riley, Crawford, Reynolds. By the way, Crawford also on a playoff team. Turner also on a playoff team, even though he's on two teams. That's a lot of people and a lot of reasons to not have Harper be the MVP. But here's the thing. When I say I don't trust the stat, like I like the stat, I like baseball references version, you go over to fan graphs. They calculate a little bit differently. Trey Turner, number one in the National League. Then you have Juan Soto at 6.6, right tied at 6.6 with Bryce Harper. So like it's how you calculate it, you know, the different, they're weighting things differently. Explain to me why Harper deserved it with other people and and all of the different ones being a little bit ahead of him. So like, what are the stats that you think that justify Harper being the MVP? So if I'm saying, okay, let me, let me sort this. I'm happy for Harper. I'm just like, I'm kind of looking at this. Like there's another one that I'm, I'm a little shocked on as well. Like Wheeler not winning the Cy Young uh, was a bit of a shock to me because Corbin Burns was amazing, but 44 innings is like a lot of innings, but let's stick to this one. Cause I'm just like, this is, it's kind of suspect here. So if you're doing Bryce Harper, you're voting for, he led the league in slugging. He led the league in OPS, right? So those are two big uh, honking categories. He has 35 home runs, which is behind, I think, only Tatis. He stole 13 bases. And I think if you're using that, like we said, that little bit of a tiebreaker where Harper had something to play for in August and September, I could justify it. It probably wouldn't have been my vote, to be honest. I probably... Really, I didn't have a vote in the MVP, so I didn't have to put you know myself on the line. I think I probably would have gone with Soto. I might have gone with Tatis. I might have gone with Crawford. Like all of them have arguments. But if you're arguing for Harper, it's going to be that combination of leading the league in OPS, well-rounded game, hitting 309, and then you know he's just he's playing for a team that had something to play for. Leading the league in OPS means a lot to me. He played all year. He was healthy all year. That makes me feel a lot better about it. And and like I said, like I think Harper had a great, amazing year. And, and now as, as we're di- diving a little deeper, like really looking at it, that makes a lot of sense. So why is his war so much lower if he led in OPS, which I think OPS is one of my favorite stats. I know, you know, like Harold Reynolds doesn't love it because it doesn't really value speed that much. Like there should be a way to add in stolen bases to a stat. And I'm sure there is one out there and also caught stealings and double plays. But how come his war is so low being the OPS leader? It's just how they adjust for position. They're, uh, how they're adjusting, uh, making their defensive adjustments, their park adjustments. They just come to the number differently. And so they have different, you know, Bryce Harper, according to Fangraphs, was pretty much an average defender, a slightly average defender. And I think baseball reference has him as uh, substantially uh, you know, closer to below average in defense. And so it's just they're coming to it a little bit differently. And that's what I mean when I say I'm not entirely sure about like trusting, you know, the 0.5 difference or whatever, because 
I'm not sure which one that I'm going to put my, you know, money into as far as, cause I'm not smart enough to understand how they're coming to these defensive adjustments and league adjustments and things like that. So I'm just kind of taking them all together, mashing them up and, you know, kind of picking the best of, of each of them, but trusting one number to the decimal point. I just have never felt comfortable with that. Yeah. You got to kind of look at the whole thing. And here's, here's another thing that I'm going to argue for Harper as far as the defensive metrics is playing in Philadelphia. So I'm going to argue for his defense probably being better than the metrics will show because it's so small, you don't have much room to go and make a great play because it's it's such a bandbox. It's so so like it's very difficult to raise your defensive metric in a small park. It's a lot easier in somewhere like San Francisco or San Diego where there's a lot of room to cover because that allows you to go get balls that are farther away, right? Like so a ball is going to be off the wall and uncatchable in Philadelphia, so you don't get this opportunity to up your stats. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I've always wondered about that, especially when you have an extreme park like Boston. You know, like how does that affect when you're sitting there 300 feet from home plate, but, you know, you can't go that far back? How does that affect it? So I, I totally understand that. That definitely hurts the, the defensive metrics. So I think Harper gets kind of a bad rap there. But at the same token, hitting and Philly and being left handed is just like it is a gift and any day game there is so nice so like philly and colorado these are really really nice places to hit so he gets he should get a little more push in the defensive metric and he should get a little bit you know even that out on the offensive one as well but at the same token that's a big difference in war and and i'm looking at this if i'm taking a pick right now with the stats in front of me as i see them it's tough not to oof. It's to me it's between Soto and Turner. And I didn't see Turner on this either. Ah. He leads in fangraphs war. I mean, you know, he's he's legit. Turner was uh you know, he was a big reason that the Dodgers I mean, I know this is playoffs, but the Dodgers beat you know, he was hitting a lot of clutch homers and really pushing that tide, but uh he beat the, the beat the Giants in that playoff series. He made some defensive plays that were just insane. He's so fast. It's tough, but I'm I'm very happy for Harper. I mean, I I do think you know well deserved, but there was a lot of people deserving. I think that was a probably a very very tough one to. I, I'm not sure the argument on why he is the pick you just right now, but I could you could say the same for any of them that get it. Now let me just totally switch gears on you with this because I'm curious your thoughts. My other podcasting partner, Andrew Baggerly, he has kind of a tradition. It's not a yearly tradition, but he likes to use his tenth spot of his ballot so you get 10 spots in your ballot he likes to use it on a player just to kind of get him recognition right so in 2009 he gave an mvp vote 10th place mvp vote to jeremy athel right not the 10th most valuable player in baseball but just sort of a way like hey this season was important to the giants this year he did it for lamont wade jr kind of as a nod to his clutch hitting his ninth inning heroics late night Lamont he said you know what I think that there's something to that I'm gonna use this as recognition didn't affect the voting all that it does is it gives him like a a a little MVP next to his name on baseball reference like MVP 28 or something like that do you think that that's cool as a ex-player do you think it should just be one through ten the best players uh in base or the league you know what Uh, I that is that's a very tough question to answer right off the cuff because like I love it. I actually like it. It seems interesting and neat and fun. But also, like, do you feel bad for the one person that didn't get that little nod? Like, 
There was this uh, TV show my wife was watching last night and they talked about fair being a, a human thing. Like it's made up by humans. So if that's how he feels, that's how he feels. And I do think that there is something to what Lamont Wade Jr. did and to what Athelt did. And I do think bullpen pitchers are extremely underrated and they're extremely valuable. So I guess now that I've kind of played it out through my words and in and, and, and time, I actually kind of love it. Is it fair? Probably not. But do I like it? Yes. He said, you know, it was basically my 10th spot was Posey, right? And so I had Posey and then I looked at it and, you know, Posey, he knew Posey wasn't going to win. He knew it wasn't going to affect the vote. Posey's already won every award you can win under the sun. So he's like, I think it's just a little, you know, a little nod, a little recognition. So I liked that part of it. It didn't take away from another player on another team. I, for one, once you stop affecting the vote outcome... Yes, have fun with it. Like make make someone's day, like make someone's baseball reference page, page pop a little bit more. Like acknowledge a great season. Once you're the MVP lets you do that. When you get to the Cy Young though, it's a little bit trickier cuz you don't you have fewer names like the NL Rookie of the Year, uh, you only have three names you can put down. So you can't play games there. You're going to affect the vote. And the MVP just a little bit different for me. Yeah, so I I think that I I understand that I get it. I hope he's not only doing it with Giants players, who is is one of my things because I know he is a, a, a Giants. He covers the Giants, and you do get kind of he's getting some flack for that. Yeah, a little bit. You, you get a little bit of pushback on social media, like oh you Homer. Yeah, I I but think like you've got two cool. voters for each team, two voters for each team in each league. So if every beat writer wants to play that game, you should have equal representation. But uh, you know it's a fair criticism. Okay, but let's move on to um, the. NL Cy Young because I got some thoughts on this and and like I, I wish I had like all of the stats out in front of me I remember looking at it and it's like a 0.5 ERA difference between Corbin Burns and Zach Wheeler but I think that Wheeler got extremely snubbed from a baseball player standpoint because 44 innings is such a huge deal to your team it is so like that's more than four games complete games that he pitched over what Corbin Burns did. That's eating innings that give, makes all of your bullpen so much stronger. Uh, it's a huge toll on your body being a horse. Like Eating 200 innings is such a huge accomplishment. To not reach 200 innings and to win the Cy Young, uh, you need to have, like, it needs to be a, a huge difference. But 44 innings, Grant, he's the leading war player in all the National League. You could argue him being the MVP and he doesn't even win the Cy Young. Like, I think that this is a huge snub. And like I said, Corbin Burns, great season. I just don't, I think Wheeler deserved this Cy Young. So tell me why Wheeler didn't win this. Is it what, what happened here? Not a high enough strikeout rate? Yeah, you know what? I put into the our Zoom chat, I did the Cy Young vote for the, or all the award votes for baseball reference, and then all the war rankings for, for Fangraphs. And so they come about it a little bit differently. Fangraphs is more... Based on your strikeouts, based on your walks, based on your home runs allowed, here's the runs you should have allowed. And baseball reference is more, here's the runs you did allowed, let's get the war based on that. I don't like Fangraph's war for pitchers that much at all. Like, I I get it, it's useful, I look at it. But to me, I am 100% with you. I look at Zach Wheeler and I say, okay, you know, they've got Burns led the league in ERA, Zach Wheeler was pretty close right behind him, what's the difference? I go straight to innings pitch and I go, oh, yeah, that is huge because who's replacing those innings? Is it, uh, is it your closer? Is you, you giving your closer next to 50 innings? No, it's probably going to be your sixth inning guy, your seventh inning guy. It's going to stretch your bullpen out a little bit more. 
those innings are valuable. They're valuable in like three different ways, five different ways. And I am an innings like snob when I go to my, there are exceptions. You know, you might have someone like Kershaw who has like a 0.001 ERA or something and you make exceptions for that. But when it's that close, forget it. I was Zach Wheeler all the way. I mean, you want like street credit and and like the clubhouse is eating those innings. And like, and, and I know it's a new game. It's a bullpen game. Like get them out, get them. That's for the team. That's that's putting the team on your back. Forty-four innings is a massive gap. It's a ma- and it means so much to the team, to like everyone in that clubhouse, everyone in that bullpen, and and maybe you know the Brewers had an insane bullpen. So like I understand like the whole, you know, I'm not sure if Corbin got hurt, you know, but just why he missed those innings. Maybe they just really relied on the bullpen, but like it gets tougher in those later innings. Pitching that many innings. And also, Wheeler is in a very, very hitter-friendly park. This one, it bothers me a little bit. I feel very bad for for Wheeler not winning. I thought that that was almost a lock. You know, it was close. And Scherzer actually is is right there, too. Uh, in, incredible season. Tough to, like, not mention him. But I'm, I'm happy for Corbin Burns. I think he did had an amazing year. And he was a big impact. And you did not want to face him. He was one of the top five at the end of the year that, like, you don't want to see this guy. That's for sure. And uh, what is the definition of the Cy Young? It's sort of just best pitcher. You know, no one, they haven't tried to play those semantical games like, oh, it's got to be the best pitcher on a, on a winning team. Like, they haven't played those it's games. Best it's just pitcher. best pitcher. Okay. Okay. Well, then, you know, um, man. Oof. Let me just double down on this because in 2019 or 2018, there were 13 pitchers with more than 200 innings pitched. In 2019, there were 15 in, uh, pitchers with more than 200 innings pitched. Uh, in 2021, there were four. There were four with Sandy Alcantara, Walker Buehler, Adam Wainwright, who's 60 years old. I don't know how he's doing that. And Zach Wheeler. Like, so four pitchers out of all of baseball who were breaking that mark. And Wheeler led them all while pitching at a Cy Young level. Like, so it, it, in a hitter-friendly park. Yeah, no, it, under September pressure, like, it, it, I get that Corbin Burns, look, he's nasty. Like, he is just one of the filthiest pitchers. He's one of those guys where you, how does anyone hit him? But he did not have to face a lot of lineups a third time through. Uh, not because he couldn't do it. Maybe if he gets that chance, he's a runaway Cy Young winner. But he just didn't get that chance. It was a lot of go through the lineup, just mow him down two times through, get to that deep bullpen. You know, it helps the Brewers win, but if I'm going and handing out individual awards, I'm going with I'm going with Wheeler. It keeps you fresh. It makes it a little it's a, lo- a lot easier throwing that few, you know, that much fewer innings to, you know, to be really stay in rhythm, stay in harmony, stay healthy and 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 you can pump a lot more. And this is why a lot of times starters going to the bullpen get better. They start having more below cuz less innings, you can empty the tank. But to eat those innings, uh it's a deep toll. It's a huge toll on your body. It's it's hard to like it's hard to do that for a long, long time. It's gonna, it's gonna weigh down. Like watching p- pitchers that throw 200 innings over and over and over again, you just see the velo start to go down. So it's a big deal. It, it, it changes the whole team. So some of these seem kind of off, in my opinion, and maybe it, it's because I haven't been looking. But like I haven't heard like a big stink about like mm, I'm not sure that went the right way. Uh, has there been any hoopla or like Phillies fans kind of like? Hey, what happened here with Zach Wheeler? Um, are they like, oh, we gave you the MVP. We can't give you the Cy Young. Like, what's going on here? We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With social media, it's going to be hyper-partisan all different ways, but you did have a couple of older school writers in commentators saying like, oh, the nerds took away, like, the nerds made innings less valuable and stuff like that. I think Jeff Passan wrote, uh, he's not old school, but like, he tweeted out, you know, the, the greatest trick the nerds ever pulled on the world is to make people not care about innings pitched. And I push back on that because, look, I'm a nerd. And I like the, the advanced stats. And I, that's the first thing I go to is innings pitch because I, I totally get it. There wasn't like a, a huge stink. This wasn't like, oh, I don't know if the bigger stinks in history when you've got uh, Miguel Cabrera winning the triple crown and Mike Trout having the season he had. You had like a big, you know, nerds versus uh, old school stats debate. It wasn't like that. It was a little bit more civil. It was a little bit more, okay, look, it wasn't, the gap wasn't that far. To me, when I look, the biggest gap of all the AL Cy Young Rookie of the Year MVP, the biggest gap for me was the NL Cy Young as far as my perception the actual outcome that's fair and i do think like the nl mvp was it was definitely a soup a, a smorgasbord of like uh what do you you know like uh, can we can we share this a five-way uh mvp exactly. i think that 
and and, and uh, you know, it, and I guess the the wheel of fortune landed on Harper, but you know, he did have a great season, so very happy for him, and so did Corbin Burns. But I definitely think Wheeler was was my Cy Young. So moving on to something that I I saw that was pretty cool. Um, Josh Reddick uh, has. I believe joined the Toros del Este uh, and the and Winter Ball Grant, and uh, we wanted to at least get a little talk and a little nod to Winter Ball and how amazing it is. So, uh, have, have you been to a Winter Ball game? What's your thoughts? What's your what is your perception of what Winter Ball is? I have not been to a Winter Ball game, but when you are in the dark of winter and you see a highlight come across your feed and it's like, there'll be like a walk-off home run video that's posted at Twitter and you see the fans, like they're not taking this as an exhibition game. They're taking this as if their life depends on it. You've got the players going nuts. You've got bat flips. You've got uh, stare downs. You've got like, it is so intense. So I'm glad that you brought that up because, all right, first of all, what year did you go? 2018 to 2019 because like it goes through the new year so yeah so talk about it so you got that right this first and foremost uh, I had no idea you know I'd heard like that it's wild it's crazy that it's fun and I know that there's there's great winter leagues there's there's one in Puerto Rico there's one in Venezuela the Venezuela one looks insane because they got some massive stadiums and I know they're very passionate but I got to go to the Dominican Republic and it was like baseball in the in the Dominican Republic is religion it is the way of life they are baseball 24/7 there's like you go by a field and there's kids training and playing like they're in their baseball uniforms all day every day from the second you wake up the first person you see, like someone that's working the hotel is like listening to the baseball radio and telling you about who you're going to face tonight. The person that's, uh, that's serving you breakfast, same thing. Like the person that you see at the whatever convenience store, you go to the, you go to the Walmart, the jumbo, everyone is talking to you about the game and telling you, and they're, and like, here's the thing. It's like, you get advice from a lot of fans and in, in, in America every now and then. But when you get advice from the fans in the DR, they are spot on with what's happening. I was like, they're like, they're not going to pitch you inside. They're afraid they're going to go away, sit away today. And I'm like, like at first I was like, yeah, whatever. And then all day they throw me away. Then they're, you know, you, you hit a couple hits away. They're like, they're going to start coming inside because it's not working away. So get ready for inside. And it, it was like crazy. They're so smart. They're on top of it. And it is eat, breathe, baseball, baseball, baseball. I had like, no internet in my house. I think you can get it, but it's like awful. So it was like no TVs. I was living on this golf course. It was incredible. It was such a, it was so fun to be immersed in that atmosphere and to feel the love of baseball they have over there. Now I have more deeper things to go into, but I just, I want to pass the torch to you for a minute. You have this image of you're going to a winter league and when you're an established major leaguer, maybe you're working on something. Maybe you're trying to adjust your swing. Maybe you're trying to just work out a couple of kinks. How do you balance like I'm working on this and then you get there and it's like win, win, passion, like this is a serious, like how do you balance like now I'm just working on something. If I'm making out, I'm making out with no, we got to win. Like how do you balance that as a player? Yeah, so that was, uh, that's a great question because when I went over, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be working on this new swing thing. And I remember I got in at like, it was like three in the morning. I got to the place and I was like, I was just going to go to the field to like get stuff set up, uh, you know, stretch out, like, you know, flying all day or whatever, all night and driving all night. And it was wild just trying to get my bearings. The intensity of, of one of every one of these games. And I got there and we were like a half game behind and like tied with like three teams to get into the next round. And 
I mean, every single game was like a playoff game atmosphere because every pitch, every strike, every ball, every base matters a ton because the ball is a lot is a little softer and the air is super dead. So it is like extremely hard to hit home runs. Like even though they're still hitting them, like sometimes in the day games, it's a lot better, but at night the air gets super humid and super heavy. So like every little base, like bunting is a huge deal. PFPs like change so many of the games. And so I get there and I'm like, yeah, I didn't really get any sleep. I'm just going to stretch out. And they're like, all right, we're going to have you face some young kids. So I, I, I do like a couple rounds, like facing some young kids and I hit kind of good. And they're like, all right, can you play in the game today? And I'm like, I'm not, you know, you, you want to be there for the team. And you're not going to say no. So I was immediately in the game, super uncomfortable with this whole new swing tech. And I got really lucky because like they'll release you quick. It's like, it doesn't matter who you are. I might get a little leeway for like my extended career, but they are win now. And it was like the, the heat. We had like six games to go to get into the playoffs and down a half game. And I happened to like be looking for a slider, got a slider with a runner in scoring position, got the game winning RBI game one with no sleep. And, <laughs> and I was scared to death. Cause I was like, there's drums and music and every team has a song and a chant and they're going bananas. It's not like, Hey, you know, just work on some things. We're golfing. We're, we're chill. No, it's drums and boom, 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 boom. And they're dancing and going crazy and fighting. And I mean, yeah, it wasn't like, I'm just going to work on this. It was like, figure it out now. And uh, fortunately I did. And it was awesome. You get into it like you all of a sudden you're there to just be like, oh, I'm professional Joe and I'm going to be working on this. And then you're like two seconds like, oh, yeah, I want to kill that other team like they can't take first place from us. I mean, the day I got there, there was like meetings for two hours in Spanish with people pumping up with like veins coming out of their neck. Like, this is destiny. This is our year, you know, and I like don't even know what they're saying. They're saying in Spanish, not even translating to English. It's, I, I was like, man, this is how a lot of the, the Spanish speaking players feel over here because we just do English. And, you know, they, they do English and Spanish now a lot more often. But I sat through like a two hour meeting that I didn't know what was really said at all, <laughs> and, but I could feel the energy and the passion. And I was like, this ain't no joke. And, and the Toros, I don't think it made the playoffs in like six years. So they were fired up to make the playoffs. And uh, fortunately we did. And I mean, they celebrated making the playoffs. Like it was so fun. And when we made the finals, I was there to, for the last game we had the, the last game mattered. It was like an extra game to make the finals. When we got back, it took two hours to move one block to get our bus to the stadium because the whole town was there. There were 50 motorcycles with like, you know, the Toros is the bull with a bull on a stick. Like they're all like going bonanza. It was an absolute parade. They celebrated us just making the finals as hard as like we celebrated the World Series parades. Like, I mean, there's more people at the World Series parade, but this is the whole town was there. It was rock star status like crazy it was so fun i'm looking on baseball reference and you have uh let's see there's 43 different players who cycled through the toros that year how well are you getting to know them like are you bonding like what's your team experience with the guys on the Toros? oh yeah you're bonding because you're on six hour bus rides and like one of the things about winter ball that's a lot different and so it's very different than today's mlb game like the rules are a, little, a lot different so you can switch your roster every day. So basically, if you threw in the pen the day before, you're off the roster and they're bringing it. So like you just shift in a whole new bullpen, right? And like your starting pitchers off the roster. So you have a bunch of arms and you are not facing 
the opposite matchup. It's like the starter's going to go, unless they're crazy good, like four innings, like three innings. And then it's right into righty-lefty matchups. And so the games are like five hours. Like I'm saying five hours of pure adrenaline because the drums and the music is going ham and the fans are going ham. And like they are intense on every single pitch. And like I said, it's not like super high scoring games either, but it's a lot of pitching changes. You're always doing, you're always facing righties. Lefties are facing lefties. It's a very, very long game and intense game, but that's like what I live for. It like feeling that passion and feeling that energy. It was like uplifting. It was a breath of fresh air. It was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had in the game of baseball. What could you take from that to bring over here? Because I always hear, oh gosh, baseball's so boring. Like when I talk to someone who doesn't like baseball, it's like, ah, you know, it's just, it's, they're standing around. There's no action. And, I, you know, I push back. And then obviously I've devoted my, my life to it because I think it's exciting. What could you bring from there over here to make like games have just a tiny bit of that feel? One of the things that I really loved about the game over there is like, and I don't know how this happened, but each team has their own like band and their own song. And I think these are just fans. I don't think that they're actually hired by the team. Maybe they are, but like there was a song that the Toros had and like there was a trumpet. And like when we would get out of a big inning, like that would be like playing in my sleep and it like made me feel really good. And I just have great memories of this like trumpet and like these drum and like this actual song and the chant. But I really do think that the music changes the spirit, changes the energy, changes the stadium. So you feel that going on like in the lulls. There's no lull because it's like it's just like constantly something going. And that just like up brought up the energy a lot. Like even one of the stadiums I think that has the bet one of the best shows is San Diego. They do the scoreboard so well that it's like it's a show within a show. Like the baseball game's going on. But the, the, what they're doing with the lights and the, and the scoreboard and all of that and all the, the games and interactions is worth it in and of itself just to go and witness that and the songs that they play and the highlights. Also, like with San Francisco, like San Francisco Stadium or, or Boston, like the stadium is a show in and of itself. So to me, I think that that music and the energy of the fans and having their own chants, they're out there like they'll both like everyone's carrying the flag of the color of the team. And so... They'll do the whole Toros chant. Like, I, I don't remember it exactly. It's like, Akito Tomo Toro. Hey, go Toro. Hey. And like, they'll tell, they'll say all the names of the other teams and like, no, 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 no. Whatever they say. And like, so they're doing that. And then the other team's doing their thing and they're doing their chant. And it just becomes like, you just feel that energy as they're like, say you score a run like everyone's coming on the field like you're like you're going like just bananas sandwich just like in the playoffs where like the players get so excited they're coming off like and and, and the mlb like when you hit a homer usually no one comes out and you go all the way in you're like doing nfl touchdown jumping shoulders like going like everybody every time you just score a run it's like the whole team's coming out and having a mosh pit it's exciting yeah, no, that is, I mean, when it comes to the music, like the only thing that might compare in the majors is, is when you're talking about Oakland and they get, they have the drums out there and people will always say like, oh, you know, Oakland, they don't have, they don't have a lot of fans. They don't draw well. And to me, it like, I don't care about that because everyone who's there wants to be there. They're freaky about the A's. They're passionate about the A's. And as someone who grew up going to candlestick games with, with 5,000 people there, it's like, it's not the number of fans. It's are the people there? Do they care? Why are they there? And with A's fans, it's like, you're there because they're, yeah, they're into the A's and you got the drums 
but it seems like it's on like a much, much different scale. Like it's just, it, you can't compete with that concentrated kind of music and fan. You have more fans. You've got the stands are packed. So it's like you take a step in the right direction, but it's not, it's not going to be the same. Listen, Oakland's got it right. Like they, they make songs for their players. It is a fun atmosphere. And like when I met the people that uh, did the 30 clubs in 30 days for their 30th birthday. So they did a road trip where they went to every stadium in 30 days. They did this like crazy calculations to make it happen. When I asked them like, what was like your favorite stadium? They brought up the experience in Oakland. They, they, they had like, there was like, there was a lot of like really cool things that happened in each stadium, but they mentioned Oakland being one of like the most fun that they had because of the drums and, and being in the bleachers and the experience of the fans and singing the songs. I always loved playing in Oakland. It's a very, the clubhouse is really small. The shower's not so good. And, you know, it's really uncomfortable because you don't even have a batting cage. But the atmosphere that those drums bring, it reminded me of like Friday night high school, like the Texas high school football. And it just like really ramped and got you going. So I always enjoyed the game and the atmosphere. So they're doing it right. It is a fun, go go and go do that and tell me you're not having a good time. Go yell at the right fielder. I mean, I was going to bed. <laughs> Ben's <"Bits>, you <laughs> suck. You know, like, they get into it. The, the Giants yeah, get the- into it too, though. They have the "What's the matter with Pants? He's a bum." They got, you oh, know, they got all classic. sorts of things. Yeah, the classic. So they do some really good stuff at, here in you know on the West Coast. Uh, Oakland and San Francisco have some fun atmospheres. So go to those, some of those games. Tell me you're not having a good time. It's going to be tough. In 2019, the Athletic, they were between uh, A's beat writers. And so they were like scrambling to go, you cover this game, you cover that game. So I went and I, I wrote about an A's game. And it was a Wednesday night game or a Tuesday night game. It was A's Royals. And there was 5,000 people there. And I'm looking around and I loved it. It reminded me of like my baseball experience at Candlestick, just like, these fans, like they're few and far between, but they're making up for it with their passion, their noise. Like they were getting into it. You had different plays and, and like the vibe was just a good vibe. And everyone just, you talk about Oakland's like, oh, the sewage and all oh, it's at Mount Davis and stuff like that. When you're looking at a baseball game, there's like a 90 degree angle, a bunch of grass, some fences. Like it's basically, you know, you can get too caught up in the ballpark. The vibe is good. The baseball's good. Like I, I bring my family to Oakland A's games all the time, and like I am a big stand for Oakland A's games. Yeah, the energy in the stadium is is one of the things that makes winter ball so incredible. Is is those songs and and same with like Oakland, that sort of passion. It just like you feel it on the field, you feel it in the stands, and, and it just makes a big difference. Another thing that's a lot different, and when I went over to winter ball, I, I was like, I'm gonna come with like an open heart and open mind, and I'm gonna I'm gonna embrace how they play. And, you know, they come over here and they play, you know, the rules are, are are a little different as far as, granted, at the same token, like, they still get mad. And there's a lot of bench benches clearing and a lot of fighting, as we just saw in one of the Venezuelan games. There was a pretty crazy brawl. But Dominican and, and, and their culture is a lot more rhythmic, dancing, singing, fluid. And you watch it in their play. Their play is really flashy and dancey. And they have a lot of swagger, a lot of – so, like – Pitchers are pimping every strikeout. I don't know if that's the right word there. Uh, you know, like we had this guy, uh, I loved it, Mourinho's. And every time he got the last out or struck the last guy out, he would hop like seven times with his leg up in the air <laughs> all the way to the other side. And like, like he's playing the guitar with his leg. And uh, we, uh, we tried to throw Hanley Ramirez out at first base because he hit a, on a line drive single to left because he would like, he would hit a line drive single to left and like, and like everyone went so crazy every time Hanley Ramirez got up that it was like this crazy hoopla. And like 
or I remember Ruben Sosa was like, I'm going to throw him out or, or, or if he hits a base hit to you, you know, throw it, you know, throw it to first. And so line drive base hit pimps it so hard, like a home run. We almost get him out at first base. We had like three things you had to do on every hit. I had to like rope the cow because we're the Toros and shoot the arrow. And, and then the other team, when they hit a home run, start doing the thing that we're doing. And then, it, you know, so there's just like a lot of swagger on the field and it is a lot of fun and intense and it gets you invested. Like, can you believe he did that? Ah. Like a lot of people go to hockey games because they do want to see the fights. You know, that's in there. It, it's interesting. So there's a lot of commotion going on out there. Typical baseball fan, I mean, baseball skews older demographically, but in general, I've seen a shift from the fan perspective of, please, let's have more color. Let's have more character. Let's have more celebrations. Bat flips, they're good, actually. Unwritten rules, shove them. You know, like it's the stodginess is kind of, you know, it's it's kind of bleeding out of baseball and I'm for it. The unwritten rules, like still kind of go on because it takes a lot of courage to do all of that showing your opponent up. And all of a sudden, you know what? They might not take it so well. So there's a risk involved here. And that risk also makes it even, you know, a little more interesting because now someone hit one. There's controversies, things to talk about. You're like, what are they going to do today? What are you going to do about it? This is stories. So it, it's it's a drama. It's a story. It's a it's fun. It's, a, it's interesting. So the unwritten rules don't have to go. The chaos needs to stay. Yeah, I like, you know, when uh, like Carlos Correa does the watch thing and then it gets done right back to him and they ask him about it afterwards. And it's like, yeah, you know what? They got me. I'll wear it. Like, you know, that's I, I, I played that game. I won that prize. I think if you go in with that mindset, then it starts building on and it just becomes fun. I don't know. I like that stuff. I'm a goofball for that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely interesting. It's definitely interesting. All right, this has been episode 34 of the Baseball Barista. We are going to be back next time. We have a special guest next time with AJ Andrews, who is a, a Rawlings Gold Glove winning softball player. She's also, she surprises us in the middle as her Olympic aspirations because she's not going there to be an Olympic baseball player. She's training to be an Olympic skeleton. I don't even know if it's a skeleton runner. What Whatever it is, she's training for the skeleton. So we talk about that because that is not something you just jump into as a lark. So it's a, a fascinating conversation. We will be back with AJ Andrews. And thanks. And we'll talk about baseball because that's what we do. See you then. I love coffee. <laughs>